to the Wisconsin Horticulture Update for July 31st, 2015. This week's host is Kevin Shesow of Burnett, Sawyer, and Washburn County, UW Extension. Why don't we go around and just see who's on? We always have stragglers, so we'll pick those up as we go. But why don't we start with that southern, southeastern part of the state? Anybody from down that way want to chime in? And if you want, go ahead and give us your county report as far as what's going on with pests and weather and all that kind of fun stuff. Sharon from Milwaukee is here. Good morning, Sharon. Good morning. I don't have much to report. We've had just very nice weather. It's getting a little dry now, but it's not too bad. I'm trying to think what came in on Wednesday at our plant health update. There really wasn't anything specific. So I don't really have a report. Sorry. Hey, maybe that's good. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> and oh pets in, in Milwaukee County, they all went away. They're gone. We've sent them to other counties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. Thanks, Sharon. Anybody else from down that direction? Hi, this is Kristen and Ann in Waukesha. I'm glad Sharon's got some rain because it is seriously dry out my way. Most of the lawns out in western Waukesha County have been under drought conditions. We've seen some interesting things. we got bark lice lately, which is really, really cool. And if you aren't familiar with bark lice, PJ said there's lots of it around the state. So pull up a picture. It's really, really cool. What's it called? Bark lice. Bark lice. Yes, lice, like hair lice. They're very cool. And he said that they've been seeing a lot of them around the state, so it's worth taking a look at them. And then Japanese beetles, questions. A lot of people don't know what to do with them. And still lots of tree issues. I had a nice gentleman call me yesterday not understanding why the river birch in their parking lot area weren't doing well. They put a red oak and three river birch in the gas station parking lot, and they're having some challenges. So we talked through that. But other than that, things are really dry, weeds are doing really great, and it's going to be really warm. So that's it for here. Yeah, midsummer, end of July weather. Okay, thanks, Kristen. And who else was with you? Ann Weed. Oh, Ann. Okay, hi, Ann. Anybody else from down that direction? Chrissy's here from Walworth County. Hi, Chrissy. I think similar to what Kristen had said, we've had a lot of tree questions coming in over the past week down here. Thank you. Anybody else? Maybe now we go to Dane. Okay. We've had... A lot of weed ID questions coming up lately. I had one question about bees under siding, a couple of Japanese beetle questions, the third magnolia scale question this year. Had somebody with cicada killers. Actually, they're at a nursing home, and although the guy knows that they're not harmful, they are three feet off the sidewalk, and they have a colony that is continuing to grow, so... He's probably going to have to do something about them, but kind of interesting. I don't hear about cicada killers all that often. Other than that, nothing particularly of note. We have had a lot of gypsy moth calls this year, definite uptick in the gypsy moth population down here in Dane. We haven't had a problem for several years, so probably had 10 or so calls this year, so wouldn't be surprised if we're back in the suppression business again next year. Okay, thanks, Lisa. Anybody else from the southern half of the state, southwest, moving a little further north, more central part? Hi, Kevin. This is VJ here from Brown County. Hey, close enough. How are you? Okay, it's been pretty dry here for more than two weeks, and trees and lawns are showing some stress symptoms. Lawns are going dormant. 
and we've been getting a lot of cases regarding some scratching symptoms on leaves, which is associated with moisture as well as stem gobbling root effect. Uh, a lot of cases on spidermite damages on arborvitae, hickories, alpine currents, people are bringing in those good specimens. Just like Christine mentioned, we also got some photographs of bark flies, people wondering what those are. And as usual with Japanese beetle, two days ago we got the first specimen of spotted wing drosophila affecting a summer-bearing raspberry patches. We sent the sample to Crystal Goodall's lab. Other than that, we need some more rain here, actually. Yeah, it sounds like you're dry down that way, so that's always never fun, but what do you do about the weather? Anybody else on the eastern seaboard over there? Winnebago. Winnebago. Yes. Okay. Same thing here. Very, very dry. We could really use some rain. Haven't had it in quite a bit. Questions, we've had a lot of weed ID also. I'm getting a lot of calls about what's wrong with my tree. A lot of it's just the general decline, but also having a lot of the cases like Kristen described with planting the wrong tree, the river birches and chlorosis and so forth. Lots of calls coming in, but it's, a lot of it is ID and what's wrong with my plant. So, good, hot and dry. I heard somebody else there. Yep, that was me, Ann from Outagamie County. Okay, hi, Ann. Hi. This week I started to get some vegetable questions, and I spent some time at the county fair. I, too, had a lot of plant and weed identification questions. I also would agree with the no rain concern. It's not a concern yet, but it's getting there. I have given out a lot of referrals for arborists because we don't do site visits, and there are a lot of tree issues out there. It's just that I'm not handling them because I'm not going to the sites. I also took advantage of that turf grass field day earlier this week, and that's all I have for Outagamie County. So what was their turf like? Nice and green and lush, right? <laughs> Well, it depends on the study that they were doing. Some were green, some not so much. Okay. Yeah, it's always nice when you can get out and get some mm-hmm. development. Yeah. Anybody else sticking with that central and maybe going a little bit more to the west? Walt in Portage County. Weed ID questions this week quite a bit, and as mentioned already, we've had call of photos of bark lice. Spotted wing drosophila definitely is here in Portage County. i got several folks with that. Tree ID or tree damage again still. And there's been numerous calls the last two weeks about do I have emerald ash borer or not and what to do about it. So we're staying busy here. Have you had any late blight calls or any of that popping up? Late bite has been confirmed in Portage County, but as far as tomato and vegetable, there hasn't been any come in and confirmed. There's been a lot of folks talking about blight or leaf damage on the tomatoes, but no late blight as yet on the veggies. Okay. Over to the west. Okay, the far west. We're green and lush and have plenty of rain, and we're fortunate that way. But it does bring a lot of fungal diseases, obviously, so lots of calls about that. Lots of tree questions, apple trees, grapes wilting. We do have spotted wing drosophila all over the place. Otherwise, yeah, it's mostly the year of the weed and the fungi up here, and lots of calls, but pretty much all over the board. That's all I can think of. Your SWD, that's mostly homeowner now? or Yeah, I know of a few people who had been selling raspberries, small scale, kind of a thing that mowed their patches off this year because they got so sick of dealing with it last year and they didn't want to be spraying all the time. So it's definitely a game changer and really affecting things, but we've had it probably four years now, and so a lot of people know about it, but a lot of people don't, so there are the new ones calling in, and they're mostly homeowners. Yep, finding the same thing up this way. It's now hit the homeowner backyard patches. 
Anybody else in the Western? Trisha and Jackson County. Hi, Trisha. I've been monitoring SWD as well and commercial blueberry raspberry farm that I have to trap on to have it since uh, the 10th of uh, July was the first farm that we saw it on. Other than that, a lot of people bringing in tomatoes, and to me it all looks like the Coriolis spot, but we did send in a sample to confirm that it wasn't blight this week. And continuing to get calls about tree defoliation. It sounds to be like caterpillar feeding, but nobody's been able to bring in an actual caterpillar. I have a hard time finding them, so I don't know. Maybe you guys have talked about this. I've missed the last few weeks here, but I had quite a few calls about that and different tree species. It doesn't seem to be just one in particular. So do you have any suggestions? So you're saying that leaves are being eaten by something. They're not just wilting or falling off or... Right. And it'll be an entire group of trees. And they'll call it skeletonization. But I haven't been able to get a good sample in to see what kind of feeding. But it hasn't been Japanese beetle or rose chafer. Those would be pretty easy to catch. And nobody's brought anything like that in. All right, thanks, Trisha. Keep moving north. Anybody else want to chime in? Otherwise, I suppose I can jump in. This is Jane up in Douglas County. Just quick, I'm finally going to send in our confirmation sample for SWD. I finally got my act together on that. And we went from probably what I say cool, wet diseases to now very hot, humid diseases. And now we're also not getting any rain. We haven't had rain for a while. So I'm trying to keep up with the disease life cycles, I guess, and learning a lot. So I'm sending some samples in. And I'm not hearing anything about emerald ash borer. I just keep thinking that pretty soon landowners are going to start asking more and more about that. But they're not. It's been two years now since we've had it confirmed. And I'm just waiting for the downfall on that. So otherwise, it's the heat and the diseases. Okay, thanks, Jane. Erin LaFave in Eau Claire County. Very similar to what Diane said. We have powdery mildew coming on, different kinds of squashes and things like that. And then Japanese beetle has just started to show its presence, but really no damage spoken of at this point. And a lot of things coming on. Maple trees definitely have different things, fungal coming on and the spindle gall mites. And that's about it. Okay, thanks, Aaron. Did I miss anybody? Otherwise, I'll go and we can go back around quick and see if anybody joined us late. Here's uh, Heidi from Sacred County. Hey, Heidi. Hi. So up here, just like Diana, we've got spotted wing pretty bad up here now, and I do have a couple of homeowners have just, like Diana said, mowed down their patches and said, I'm done. Commercial growers really struggling because he didn't want to spray. He's trying to be organic and struggling, but he is spraying now, but he's losing more than he's getting, and it's taking so long to pick because you have to use the two-bucket method. So he's going to alter how he's selling next year, he said, and not sell the commercial accounts, only to pick your own because it's too much time wasted and invested in picking. I did also have a grower that had some off-looking tomatoes that we sent in, and they ended up having both TMV and tomato-spotted wilt virus. So two viruses. It was a San Marzano variety. I've had some calls in the office for pollinator habitat information. Oddly, at this time of year, I'm getting a number of people calling about monarch butterfly habitat and seed and pollinator habitat planting, wondering what to do there and how to do it. Definitely a lot of fruit tree diseases and fungal diseases because of the rain we've had up here. The most interesting one, I guess, in the last two or three weeks is we had several weeds that I had never seen before in my life, and I sent them to Mark, and he had to work on them for a while to figure them out, too. It turned out one was giant sumpweed, 
which is a native wildflower, I guess, but it can be invasive, and Elecampania, which is an inula, Hellenium. So they were kind of fun to see. They're quite large weeds, more than six feet tall, and I was surprised that we hadn't seen them before somewhere. See, other than that, there haven't been a lot of calls, just fungal diseases on tomatoes, a lot of lower leaf yellowing and necrosis. I don't think I've seen any late blight yet, but I've seen a lot of satorial leaf spot and other types of lower leaf issues on tomatoes. And then on cucumbers, I've got a number of people with mildew symptoms because of the moisture that we've had. A lot of people with monarda wondering what to do about all the mildew on the monarda. That's about it up here. We've had enough rain, but I think we're just about ready for some more now, so we don't have to water. Well, I'll jump in here. Technically, I have responsibility for Burnett, Washburn, and Sawyer. And, of course, there's differences as you go east to west, but in general... I would echo some of the comments that both Diana and Heidi made already about the moisture. We got a little shot of rain again this week. Again, these are spotty, so not everybody is benefiting. But in general, we're experiencing an average year for a change as far as getting timely rains and the amount. We're still a little bit behind in heat units, maybe four or five days from our 30-year average. So the crops look wonderful, and everybody is hopeful that they're going to have a nice fall harvest on the commodity crops. But the grower question right now, and I'd echo the same thing with SWD, and I don't know if it's because I'm more in tune with that and have been working with growers, and I've actually been posting stuff and had a display at our county fair on SWD, but the homeowners are definitely paying attention now, and it's like Diana and Heidi said, it's kind of popping up everywhere. I got a pint jar in my office somebody gave me as a gift for helping them with something. An elderly woman, I ate a couple of them, and I talked about the worms. Of course, she didn't want to hear it because her grandkids are enjoying her patch and all this and that, but I left them sit for just a half a day, and it's just swimming with larvae right now. There must be 200 of them in there, and this was off of maybe 25 berries. So, yeah, like Diana said, it's a game changer, so we just have to go with the flow, and maybe some of you are already there and past that, but for us, it's been a lot of SWD. The diseases, because of the moisture and the humidity, we're really starting to see an increase in the samples coming in and calls coming in about any number of fungal diseases, mostly peppers and tomatoes and a little bit on the vine crops now with downy mildew as it's gotten a little drier. Still people calling about pollination issues with some of their vine crops, why well, don't have more fruit sets, those kinds of things. Not a lot of weed ID. I'd be interested to see if we have this bark lice. I know a bunch of you mentioned it. Maybe it hasn't blown up here yet, or maybe it's more concentrated in the south. But other than SWD, we don't have Japanese beetle, knock on wood, bothering us. Like I said, cabbage looper, that kind of stuff that we typically see this year. So we're pretty normal and not a lot of major issues other than the fungus that comes with the kind of humid weather we've seen. So... That's my report. Is there any other people we missed or that joined late? Okay, hearing none, we do have our specialist hanging out with us. I don't know who wants to go first or who's on a tighter timeline right now, but I know Brian's on and Russell's on. Let me do my report, and I'll give an update for PJ as well, and then we'll turn it over to Russ. PJ sent a summary. The things that he commented on, bark lice, these are groups of small striped insects found under the bark of trees. They graze on lichens and won't harm the trees at all. And he thinks of them as miniature cows. And he said he's had at least half a dozen cases of those pop up in the last week. In terms of spotted ring drosophila, that's also been popping up. So make sure growers and anyone with a good-sized raspberry patch in their yard is keeping an eye for them. And cicada killers, these are large but harmless wasps. 
He's been getting quite a few calls about these. They can also be called the great golden digger wasps because they dig holes in people's yards. They aren't likely to sting, but can be controlled by a dust or granular type insecticide if they're really an issue. Yellow jackets and relatives, since they're getting to the time of the year when yellow jackets and paper wasps calls about those are starting to trickle in, and he's had roughly a dozen or so reports in the last week, and two of large and sometimes aggressive nests in the ground in wall voids or aerial nests. And then he mentions giant slugs. He says, believe it or not, we actually have several species of giant slugs in the state that can reach six or more inches long. Mike Baldwick from Sheboygan County sent him an image of two giant slugs crawling across someone's window. He usually gets two to three reports a year of big slugs, and has had two in the past week. The giant slugs aren't native, but they are so uncommon that they don't seem to be much of an issue. If you ever run across any, the Milwaukee Park Public Museum has a webpage that you can use to help identify exactly which species you're dealing with. And he has a web address that he has listed, and that will go in the summary if you're interested. And that's it from PJ. In terms of what I'm doing here in the clinic, it's been fairly busy. Not a lot of really exciting things other than what I've talked about before. We've seen a fair amount of vascular wilt, some verticillium on smoke tree and Japanese tree lilac, some oak wilt samples that have come in, and then a fair amount of root and crown rot issues, not surprising given the amount of rain that we've had this year. Also, a fair number of vegetables that came in. had a kale sample that had awesome bacterial soft rot. We thought that might be coming in after black rot, which is a typical scenario, but couldn't find any evidence of black rot in that sample. Black rot is a disease that's specific to brassicas. It will cause angular or wedge-shaped necrotic areas in the leaves, usually with a yellow halo, and then it's through those sorts of compromised tissues that the soft rot bacterium will enter and cause additional damage. But this kale was pretty slimified. It was quite a stinky sample. We saw some white mold, interestingly, on a homeowner snapping sample. So they had white mold in their home garden. The infections had occurred not only on the stems of the plants, but also on the pods. And then a variety of leaf diseases on tomatoes, bacterial speck and bacterial spot, septorial leaf spot, and then our first official late blight sample that came into the clinic this week, again, on tomato. And that's all I have for you today. Questions? Brian, where was that late blight from? The late blight sample was from Wood County. Well, Wood County already had it, is that correct? Yeah. This is just for me. This is not in the state, but we've been looking at samples all summer as people have sent them in, and this is the first one where we actually got one that was positive. Was that a homeowner or a... Homeowner sample. Terry Lessig sent it in, and she said the owner had two plants and roged out both of them and bagged them up and got rid of them. Any questions for Brian? Anybody have a burning insect question? Maybe there's some people online that can help. Is there anybody with insect questions that they would like to ask? This is Russ, and I am an entomologist. If you do have any questions, I can certainly do my best. And even Brian, I'm going to classify him as a jack entomologist, so he can help too. I know that you guys can answer this. For SWD overwintering, we're kind of figuring that out. But if they don't overwinter, is there a chance that they come in with the wind at all or not? Is that really not the way it happens? I think the jury is still out a little bit on that as far as how much migration we actually get versus how much local populations exist. I think we're learning that we do have localized overwintering populations. The kinds of things that they're developing on throughout much of the spring and early summer is still a bit of an interesting question. But we do probably have 
some low-end events, but those kind of events, I don't think they're the long-distance events that we have for things like leafhoppers or things like that, nor do they seem to have any sort of obligate migratory times like soybean aphid, for example, sometimes does in late July. So it's kind of a mix. We might get a little bit of local movement, and by that I mean maybe several to up to maybe tens of miles, but not much more than that as far as just movement events, but I do think a lot of it's the local population too. Thank you. Okay, Russ, as an entomologist and your vast knowledge of population dynamics and predators and all this stuff, we've seen other infestations of pests, i.e. Japanese beetles, is one I can think of, but I'm sure there's others, non-native ones, aphids and scales and who knows what ends up here, gypsy moths. Are we likely to see any change in the impact that these are having? Obviously, they're having a heyday right now because we don't have any history with them. We've never really managed for them. It seems like they're just really devastating some of our crops here. And what can we expect to happen as we work through this dynamic? Are there going to be more predators that start to take advantage of them? Are they going to just eat themselves out of food source? Unlikely, but, you know, or is it always going to be this problematic? Because for our commercial growers, as Diana mentioned, they're just pulling their hair out if they don't want to spray. They're having to moan down and say, I'm done. Yeah, I think it really matters the life history of the bug and whether they do host switching or not. So for something like Japanese beetle, for example, they'll come in, they're grass feeders, as larvae in the grass, and then the adults go up and they feed on a variety of things. Once they get established in an area, they kind of go through that episodic phase two, three, four, five, six years before some of the generalist predators even learn that they are prey. And even maybe some of their local natural enemies can build up any entomopathogenic fungi or fungal pathogens that work on the grubs and so forth. But over time, after several years or a few to several years, their populations start to usually go down and equilibrate at kind of a lower level. And so once we get that pulse that comes through, like European earwig in the state was that way. It's still a problem in some places, but it went up and then it's gone down. And depending upon where, like, the front for gypsy moth is, it's either on the up or maybe it's a little bit on the down. And spotted wing, I don't know. I think Christelle's probably going to have a better and more informed answer, but we are kind of in that episodic part of it being in the state. There are probably generalist natural enemies that are starting to whittle on it a little bit. It is interesting that it's got this phenology where it seems to be generally off the crop through the first half of the year, and then it really jumps on the crop. And so when it does sort of move in that way, brown marmorated stink bug, something we haven't had to deal with yet. It is in the state in very localized populations, but it does something similar where it's actually off the crop in trees, and then in the middle of the summer it just jumps down on a variety of crops. And it is kind of hard for natural enemies to also make that timely jump. And again, if there's no prey for them on berries, for example, generalist natural enemies are not going to be patiently waiting for the Drosophilid or in the future marmorated to show up. So in time, it's kind of out of phase. So it is something that we'll probably continue to have to deal with for something like spotted wing is that monitoring and surveillance, knowing when they're going to show up and being prepared to strip crop and then be prepared, unfortunately, to have to control the pest with sort of a one, two, three, four type punch to really knock them back. Again, there's no real pat answer. 
Generally, the exotics kind of pulse through an area, but sometimes their legacy stays in certain crops, mostly based on host switching. Okay, well, that's helpful. I think all of us who have got to deal with this are going to have to have that kind of elevator speech ready to explain some of this because I think it's a game changer, like Diana said, and people get attached to these backyard fruits, and raspberries is one that we've been enjoying for a long time, and now all of a sudden, like I said, the container that's sitting on my table next to me here is pretty evident that that's not a good thing, especially if you're assuming they're not full of worms, and then you give them out to somebody, and in a day they turn to mush. Sure. I have another question about Entrust, the spinosad. Yep. Are you familiar with that product, Russ? Yep. Okay. I know that's one of the ones we're recommending for the SWD, and it's got, a, I'm assuming, fairly broad spectrum. It's been used for Colorado potato beetle for quite a while, has it not? Yes. I got a call from a cranberry grower who's organic, and they're trying to deal with flea beetle and the Pyganic doesn't seem to be working and wanted to know what other organic options there are. So I know, again, this is a little outside of your area, but is flea beetle listed on Entrust? I saw it for some crops, but it didn't seem to say it was fully controlled, it was suppressed. Well, Spinosad will be labeled as Conserve or Entrust. Entrust is the organic label, Black Hawk, Spintor, and then there's a whole host of sort of home garden type of Monterey or Captain Jack. And they all have a NOSAD label. And so Entrust is just specifically the one that's formulated for organic producers. As far as flea beetles are concerned, identity of the flea beetle is, is really critical. I'm sorry I can't answer the question specifically about cranberry, but I'll give you an analogy. In a lot of our brassicas or leafy green crops, it really matters the choice of what you do. For example, crucifer flea beetle is actually controlled pretty well by a spinosad, or even the souped-up spinosad, which would be spinetoram, which would be radiant if anyone has ever heard or used of radiant. But other flea beetles, like corn flea beetle, it really won't touch it. So I guess the message there, not all flea beetles are created equal. And not all, obviously, then respond to the same thing. So identification is really critical. I believe the one in cranberries doesn't really respond that well, unfortunately, to spinosad. If it did, then there would be a heck of a lot more spinosad applied in the cranberry growing area. The majority of what's used right now is either a pyrethroid, unfortunately, or even a neonic, perhaps more unfortunately, because I think the lack of susceptibility to spinosad. And again, the point is is that not all flea beetles respond to everything. So I think it's crop-specific and species-specific. Not knowing the label, I just said, well, in trust might be something you'd consider, So if you go to the label and it's not listed for cranberry flea beetle, then it's probably not going to... Exactly. And what they will do is they'll usually ask the label if it says for suppression only. And typically that means that the product is just sort of lukewarm on that target. Okay. So it's probably not going to be cost effective maybe. Unless they just try it on a small scale to see what happens, do a little test run of it before they go out and spray. Well, certainly like you said, they can do that. Certainly check the label and see if even the label would suggest that on cranberry that that's a target pest that has any efficacy on. 
incidentally, I think a lot of our growers are organic producers, even our small market partners still are challenged by understanding the best and wisest use of Pyganic. Pyganic comes as a 1.4 and a 5-pound gallon, so it's 1.4 EC or 5 EC. And, of course, the 5-pound gallon is the more concentrated, but there's a few things that especially in Wisconsin because of our karst topography and the pH of a lot of our water when they mix. If that water is up around the pH of 7, a lot of times Pyganic is going to last in that sprayer tank about 30 minutes tops. It does not do well in anywhere near an alkaline environment. So to be quite honest, acidic tank conditions are absolutely critical for Pyganic to work. If you mix it and you spray immediately, you're probably fine. The other thing is, is that Pyganic is horribly susceptible to any photo degradation. A lot of times people will spray in the early morning and so forth. On days like this, bluebird days, don't spray in the morning. Spray at 8.30 at night. Literally spray in low light conditions because it's going to be gone in 40 minutes on a canopy in high light conditions. And then one other thing is rate. Pyganic is not inexpensive, and the rate range on it is huge. And for something like flea beetle, which is hard to kill, you've got to be in the upper two-thirds to three-fourths or above, all the way up to a full rate to have any kind of efficacy. So tank condition, pH, timing of application, low-light conditions, and rates are absolutely critical. Well, that was very helpful. I learned a lot. I'm going to make sure I remind the grower about some of those tips there with the Pyganic. Is there anybody else who's got questions related to insects they want to throw out? Okay, Russ, why don't you go ahead and give your update report? Sure, and I guess I'd like to say that I appreciate everyone's comments today, and what I've heard is just a few or a smattering of vegetable insects. And I'd say it's been a very average to even below average year for vegetable insects and almost insects in general. Now, as people have indicated, we've had some changes in pattern moisture. I think most of the state was pretty much wet and cool throughout the first half of the year, and now especially the eastern half of the state, and in particular the southeastern portion of the state, is getting dry. And so not real recently, but if there have been any highlights at all, it's been slugs. There were slugs a few to several weeks ago. That's kind of timing out or pacing out. We had some early flights of worms. We've had some recent army worm. They're very sporadic, so just uh, quickly identifying where we see those. The long-distance migrants, like the leafhoppers and stuff, have been pretty average. We have seen them, certainly on very susceptible varieties of crops. We'll see some leafhopper damage, but then not much. Sort of the rogue elements, the typical cucumber beetle for sure, is around. It's not in extreme numbers. Squash bug is around. I still think we're actually dealing with or coping with the legacy of 2012, to be honest. 2012 generated more darn squash bugs for the state of Wisconsin than it's ever seen. And to be honest, the legacy of that is still around in many places. But really not too many insects of real concern. Again, it's interesting to hear the woody ornamental insects, and at this time of year is pretty typical. Just things to look forward to, as folks have suggested, especially if the weather changes and it has changed for the drier side. We might see a few more trips. We have seen and might expect to see maybe a little bit more spider mite. 
as it continues to stay dry in some areas. And then we need to be a little bit more vigilant. We are entering into August now, and that's the earworm and corn borer and western bean cutworm time of year. So our corn is going to start to maybe, and I say maybe because blacklight and pheromone traps haven't revealed anything of real problem yet as far as those migratory insects. But in the next couple of weeks to come, we need to be watching for that as far as our sweet corn and so forth. So that's about all. Thanks, Russ. Is there any questions or general comments for Russ related to vegetables and vegetable entomology? This is Chrissy from Walworth County. Just a quick question on the eggs of the squash bug. Can those be on top and the bottom of the leaf? Sure. I always would say that they're on the undersurface of the leaves laid in nice rows. And then, of course, people will send me pictures and say, well, I'm dead wrong there, Russ. And that's just the typical thing. The majority of them will be on the undersurface, kind of like that, but it can be on the top and bottom of the leaf for sure. Thank you. You bet. Any other questions or comments or issues that we haven't addressed that you might have? Okay. Amanda was also listed as being one of our invited guests. She has this vegetable crop update, and I'm assuming most people are getting that or are on her listserv. If not, you can go to her website, www.plantpath.wisc.edu, and that should link you up to that vegetable crop update. But in her report for this week, she had a mention of late blight. Again, it's been confirmed in seven counties. And just to keep your eye out for it, definitely want homeowners to be part of the solution in keeping this from spreading, and we've talked a little bit about that. Downy mildew, as she said, has been confirmed in onions this past week. Talks a little bit about the pathogen and its life cycle. Downy mildew on cucurbits, that was first reported July 20th. So there's some control options. This is a nice newsletter to refer to if you need to get on top of some of these different diseases. She also has some really nice pictures on basil downy mildew. And very nice pictures here to help us in some of that horticulture CSI that we all have to do when samples come in. So I just wanted to direct people's attention to that. And if you're not getting it, I'm sure Amanda will be happy to add you to her listserv. So again, nice to know that she's out there providing this information. It tends to be a little bit more specific to the commercial growers, but for the backyard home growers, there's obviously some good information here, too. So, Russ, what are you going to bring back from Michigan for us? I'm not bringing anything back, although it is just noteworthy thinking about the late blight pathogen, as you mentioned in Amanda's report. That, that organism is such a politically charged organism. It's interesting for me to hear that Brian has just had the one sample, but it is all over the Central Sands area, and it's creeping into places to the east. Although the weather today and in the last couple of days hasn't been very conducive, that organism is around seemingly in significant amount, and the politics of it, a lot of the growers up in the central sands area, they just won't report it any longer. And so that just makes for especially the challenge, not for them, mostly for our market gardeners, because if it's not continuing to be reported, that by no means diminishes the likelihood that it's around. So that's certainly something people need to be reasonably vigilant about. And if I recall, there are some fungicides that might work, but some of them are really difficult to control depending on the genotype. Is that right? 
Brian might jump in here, but I think the point is is that a generalized protectant fungicide, one that contains chlorthalonil, and being vigilant about just protecting the crop, if that's what you want to do, is important when the conditions are right. Once the organism has been detected, if you're wanting to actually limp a crop along and you want to use something curative, yes, there are maybe a little bit of difference in the choice of products that you would use, but a lot of what you can use that are somewhat curative are reasonably expensive. Because of the issues in central Wisconsin, there may not be that much availability. Like Predicure, I think, is one right now that is significantly recommended, but it may not even be that available. And I think when someone does price it, they kind of better be sitting down when they price it because it's expensive as the Dickens. But I think Amanda on the newsletter has those links. There are many things you can use, but a general protectant, if you don't have the organism yet, I think is one of the ways to minimize at least the onset of disease. This is Brian. I'll just reiterate what Russ has said. It's better to apply those products before you see any symptoms and do it as a preventative treatment. And chlorothalonil is certainly one product for a lot of organic production. It's copper-containing products that are the product of choice. And in terms of the curative products, those that are out there, oftentimes the window of application for those that have curative properties is so short that you're better off dealing with this disease as a preventative treatment rather than trying to cure it. I think that gives people a false sense of hope. If they know there are curative products out there, you should be dealing with this long before that. Any last-minute questions or comments from our specialists? What was the name of that preventative? Brian, you might comment on that. The one is Prevacure that I've heard that's been listed. Or excuse me, that's not a preventative. Just a chlorthalonil-containing compound. Excuse me, I meant the curative one. You'd have to check with Amanda on those particular products because I usually don't recommend those because I don't think that's a reasonable choice, certainly for homeowners. As Russ indicated, availability and pricing is going to be way beyond what anyone's going to want to pay for as a homeowner. And so those are going to be more useful for commercial production. And I would check with Amanda about her thoughts on whether that's an option or not. Thank you. This is Heidi. I have a quick question. It's not insect or disease related. It's pricing related on pumpkins. If anybody out there has information on wholesale pricing for pumpkins, I just have a guy that has about a six-acre patch. He's wondering what a per-pound price would be appropriate. So just send that to Heidi in St. Croix County if you have it. Brian, I have one quick question. Fly spec on grapes. Will our standard black rot, downy mildew freight program work on fly spec on grapes, or is that another product that we normally wouldn't spray? Kevin, I've never really heard of fly being an issue on grapes, per se. It's usually an apple disease. Yeah, I would agree, but I went online because the grower's question is, how do I get rid of it or what should I spray? I would question whether or not, even if there is a fly on grapes, what they're really dealing with. That's not something commonly that I hear about, and I've never seen that on grapes. So that would be a situation where I would be concerned that the person is trying to make a diagnosis and is making the wrong diagnosis. So I would get some additional information from that person. Okay, will do. Thank you. This is Russ. I just have a couple of statements relative to comments that were made today, and I think they're both aimed at Heidi up in St. Croix County. One is the Xerces Society and NRCS have a lot of online resources for pollinator mixes and blends and so forth as far as if folks are interested to establish, maintain, or construct these easements. NRCS is mostly in the context of if anybody wants to enter into 
a program, whether it's through Equip or WIP or any of those, if it's for pollinators in general, it will typically raise the priority of that quite a bit. And a lot of decent information is available there from NRCS and at the Xerces Society. And then the other comment you mentioned, Heidi, you said you had TMV in tomatoes, and the other one was tomato spotted wilt. Did I hear you correctly? Yeah, let me double-check the email, but I'm pretty sure it was those two together. I'd be interested to know a little bit more about the TSWV and if it came out of a hothouse or if it was in the field. It was a high tunnel. Yeah, okay. Can I add something, Russ? I've talked to NRCS about the pollinator programs, and the one stipulation I think people should know about is that those programs are specifically for agricultural land. So if your land is not in some kind of agricultural crop, which includes hay fields and things like that, if it's in turf, they do not qualify. That's very true. So it has to be someone who is listed or the property has to be listed as agricultural land. That's exactly right. But the information is there, too, as far as qualifying, but information about blends and so forth, because there's some that are for what they call polylectric species, which is species that feed on a variety of stuff, or any oligos, which is very specific, some very bee-specific types of information, like if you want to help out lazy aglossum, then plant this. If you want to help out the megachilids, then plant this. And it's just kind of interesting type of information as well. Yeah, I had sent them to Xerxes and to pollinator.org, but I definitely should send them to NRCS, too. It's for smaller plots in a community where they're trying to get a number of people with yards within the community to plant some pollinator habitat, so it would be less than a half an acre each. Thanks for that info. All right. Is there any announcements that people would like to make? I know the WIMGA conference is happening this weekend over in La Crosse. I saw Mike Maddox. He came up to Hayward and did a hort therapy workshop for us. Anybody else got programming coming up that they'd like to let everybody know about? This is Heidi up in St. Croix County. Just to let people know, I've got a summer intern working on local foods initiatives. And this next Saturday, August 8th, we're hosting our first annual Farm Pedal, which is a tour of four different farms in the area on a 35-mile bike tour, stopping to eat and take a tour of each farm along the way, and then with a wrap-up of a pizza event at the final stop. So... That'll be very exciting. It's online at our St. Croix Extension website if you want to see what it's about and what we've done with it. And she's done a great job putting that together. 30 people, I think, signed up right now, and our max is 50. So, Are you charging for that? Yes, it's $45 for the ride, the day's events and the ride and the dinner. People who don't want to ride bikes but are like family members that want to participate in the dinner afterwards, it's $25. Any other announcements? Well, I'll just do a quick shout-out here. Once we get into August, we do our annual... Twilight Garden Tour here at the Spooner Ag Research Station out in our teaching and display garden. So it's coming up on Tuesday, August 18th for any of the regional people up this way who might want to just make note of that. One more announcement. Oh, uh, so Ken Schrader in Portage County is doing veggie garden walks throughout the summer. I think the first one was this Tuesday. If anybody's interested in doing these garden walks, email extension here in Portage County and we'll get you up. Schedule. Okay. So basically, they've taken off the concept of a pasture walk or a parlor tour where you just invite people out to somebody's farm and have a little walking tour and discussion, huh? These are mostly home vegetable garden tours. Alrighty, Well, I think we had a really good discussion here. Thank you so much, Russell and Brian, for joining us. Um, I Absolutely. Think we, we did what we needed to, another good discussion here. Next week, Lisa Seafeld from Marquette County is host. And our guest speaker is Mark Wren on the invasive plant side. 
So tune in next week for that subject. Thanks, everybody, for their time, and enjoy your weekend, and hopefully we can do a little rain dance and get some of that moisture down state. Enjoy the weekend, and talk with everybody next week.